Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Maybe I should turn myself on. But I've been running around a bunch this morning. Um, let's start this in prayer. I need a little extra prayer. Oh, God, my heart is all over the place. My mind is here and there and everywhere. Things have not come together smoothly. But God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. And Father, maybe I'm not the only one feeling that way today. Maybe with uh, new mask mandates and election results, we have other people that are feeling a little bit scattered and uncertain. Kind of here and there and everywhere. Not focused, not centered. So God, we need you to focus us and center us now on you and on your word. Take our divided hearts and unite them. Open our clogged ears that we might hear you. And satisfy our hearts now. In your word, as we look at it together now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we need to remember. We need to remember that the early church didn't attend church. The early Christians didn't attend church. They were the church. Jesus didn't say, attend me. He said, follow me. You see, the difference is engagement. We are never called in the New Testament just to attend church. You know, in order for us to be the church, be the church or follow Jesus, it requires more than just attendance. It requires engagement. And Chestnut Street, that is why one of the promises that we make to one another is a promise to engage. To, to more than just attend, but to engage. As you know, through the fall, we've been discussing some changes or some clarifications that the church, that the elders are going to be bringing to the church to vote on in the December business meeting. So, some revisions and clarifications so that we better understand the commitments, the promises that we make to one another in membership. And we are going to be bringing a, one of those promises, one of those commitments is a commitment to engage. And I want to read you the text that's going to be proposed in December. It says, we commit to engaging, engaging actively and regularly in the life of the congregation by attendance at worship gatherings, participation in the Lord's Supper, involvement in business meetings, investment in church ministries, practice of hospitality, and sacrificial service to one another and our shared mission. You see, that is a commitment to engage. It's more than just attending. It includes attending, but it doesn't stop at just attending. Because, friends, we know the truth. We know the truth that attendance does not always equal engagement. 
attendance doesn't always equal engagement. I mean, we know that attending a church doesn't mean that you're engaged with that church or engaged in God's mission. Attendance does not always equal engagement. I mean, you can sit in the back row and easily listen to a message half distracted. You can attend a church and never get to know another name. You can attend a church and never invest a moment of your time or a mite of your treasure. You can attend with someone on Sunday and never engage with them Monday through Saturday. So the goal, our goal can't be mere attendance. But our promise, our commitment to one another is engagement. Now, now why would we want to spell out something like this in our membership covenant that promises one another? Because, friends, the promise to commit, the the commitment that is to engage, the promise to engage with one another, it challenges the way that we've done church in America for a long time. You know, during the church growth movement of the last few decades, the goal became attendance. You know, if you build it, they will come. And if you build it bigger and better and more relevant, more will come. And so if you offer the best, most targeted, most age-appropriate variety of programs that will get them to attend, and success was largely measured numerically. And the implicit or sometimes even explicit message was, you don't actually need to do anything, just show up so we can count you and put that in the numbers. And what we unintentionally created was a generation of church shoppers, connoisseurs and consumers of Christian wares, But friends, passive attendance, Christian consumerism, church shopping is not what Jesus has called his people to. I mean, Jesus' goal has never been mere attendance, but engagement. Because friends, it is engaged Christians who advance the mission. Engaged people are passionate people. Engaged people serve in it. They live in it. They invite their friends to it. I mean, over the long-term, church, you can accomplish more with 30 engaged Christians than with 300 disengaged Christians. The goal is not just attendance. The goal is engagement. And what does that look like? Well, friends, I think it looks like the passage that Mary just read for us this morning from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. I think this passage from Romans 12 offers us a great picture of what it means to be more than attenders, but to be engaged in the church, engaged together. It's more than just going to church. What does it look like to be the church? And so let's begin by understanding the context of what Mary read for us. In Paul's letter to the Romans, chapters 1 through 11, Paul has spent... Eleven chapters discussing our justification, our standing before God. He spent eleven chapters giving us a detailed explanation of the gospel, of the good news. He talks in chapters 1 through 11 of the letter to the Romans about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ to bring us to him. And what we didn't read in Romans, in chapter 12 of Romans, was that chapter 12 begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, therefore is a connecting word, connecting all that comes after it with what came before it. So Paul, when he writes chapters 12 through 16 of Romans, he's saying, because of everything I said in chapters 1 through 11, because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, therefore, here's the hinge, this flows out of that. 
This flows out of that. So chapters 12 through 16 are a consequence of chapters 1 through 11. In other words, Paul's saying because of the good news of God's reconciling work through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, therefore, this is how you should respond. This is how you should live. And he spells it out in chapters 12 through 16. And chapter 12 starts with this command. Therefore, therefore, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So to summarize, Paul says, in response to the fact that Christ gave himself for you, you give yourself to him. The gospel is free, but it demands a response. As the hymn Wondrous Cross demands, love, or ends, it says, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Friends, the gospel, the good news of love so, dema- so amazing, demands a response of every man, woman, and child. A response from every person in this room or online. What is your response to love so amazing, so divine? And friends, if you're here today or you're logged in with us online and you've never responded to the gospel, to the good news of Christ's death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection from the dead for your life, the the gospel, the good news of God's grace to forgive sins and to reconcile you to himself, the good news of the strength of the Holy Spirit who can free you from your sin and your addictions and your guilt and your shame, then don't leave here today without talking to me or don't wait to contact me because I would love to talk to you, whether you're here or online, to tell you more about the gospel. The good news that demands a response of every one of us. And the question is, what is your response to the gospel? But church, chapters 12 through 16 of Romans are for those who have responded and received the gospel of grace. The question is, how then should we live? If we've received a love so amazing, so divine, how then should we live in response? Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's great. But what does that practically look like? What does that practically look like? And that's what Paul is starting to spell out here in chapter 12. Paul continues chapter 12 and he he makes clear that we can't present ourselves to Christ without presenting ourselves to one another. Hear that again, church. We can't present ourselves to Christ without presenting ourselves to one another. The gospel says that we are saved into God's family, into Christ's body. In fact, he says just a little bit before what Mary read for us today. In verse 5 of chapter 12, he says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ individually members of one another. The Latin word body is corpus, and it's where we get our word corporate, meaning as a body. We are corporately the body of Christ. There's no such thing as a lone Christian. So the Jesus and me faith of American culture is a lie. Christianity by its very nature is corporate. We become part of Christ's body. And Paul says, if we're all members together in Christ of Christ's body, then that means we're members of one another. 
And he goes on in verses 6 through 8, and he explains God's given each member of the body gifts for the building up of the body. And then he goes to the passage that Mary read for us today. He goes on to describe what kind of a life should exist within that body. What should it look like? If Christ has saved us, and He saved us into His body, into His people, and He's given that body gifts for the building up of the church, well, what does our life together look like? Well, it's not just attending. It's not just growing up and warming a pew. As we clearly see, being the church is about more than attendance, but it's about engagement. I mean, consider verse 9. Verse 9 says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Let love be genuine. The, the word for genuine here literally means without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. You know, in the ancient world, world the word, the word hypocrite, 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 I want to blame the mask. The word was about an actor playing a part. And today, a hypocrite is still an actor playing a part. Someone who's not sincere, someone who's not genuine, just playing at it. And Paul says, listen, love, don't just play at love. Don't just put on a pretense or an act of love. Love genuinely. God calls us to deeper than more appearance, mere appearance or attendance, but to genuine engagement. He calls us to more than just tokens of affection for one another. He says, no, no, no. Engage in love. And the fact is, for those of us who are married or in a relationship, you, you know the truth of this. No amount of tokens or no amount of flowers or chocolates or Hallmark cards can outweigh getting up at 2 a.m. and walking the baby so your exhausted partner can sleep. Mere attendance or tokens is no replacement for engagement and sacrificial love. Symbolic gestures don't replace engaging in the hard work of relationship of forgiving, of reconciling, of healing, of serving. Love is not best demonstrated by token or by symbol, but by sacrifice. You can't just play at love, Paul writes. Don't just play at it. It's got to be genuine. And genuine love, church, is hard. It's messy. It's uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. And it's often painful. Because real love doesn't just attend to the surface. It engages the other, it engages the issues, and it goes down deep. You know, this summer we learned and we sang together a couple of times a song by Ren Collective called The Cost. I've counted up the cost, and you are worth it. Well, there's also a line in that song that says, Real love, real love is not afraid to bleed. Real love doesn't just attend, it engages Real love will not stay on the surface. Real love will bleed for another. And friends, that is the gospel. Jesus Christ took on flesh so that He could bleed for us. And we are called to do the same. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, By this we know love, that He, Christ, laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is not mere attendance. This is engagement. You know, you've heard the, the phrase, he's got skin in the game. 
You know, to put skin in the game means that you could bleed for someone because it means you've incurred risk. You're personally vulnerable. You're invested. Jesus put skin in the game so that He could bleed for us. And the call is for us to put skin in the game so that we risk bleeding for one another. Giving ourselves, sacrificing, not mere attendees on the surface, but engaged with one another, skin in the game, personally invested. We are called to love, and that love is to be genuine. And church, the question is, will it be? Will it be genuine? Paul continues in verse 10. He says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Brotherly affection is the Greek word Philadelphia. Again, it's where we get, you know, the name of Pennsylvania's city of brotherly love. Philadelphia. Brotherly love. The two words for love used in this verse indicate a familial affection. You know, we're not just called to, to, to feel loving towards someone, but to act lovingly. We're called not just to feel loving, but to act lovingly. And now you might hear that and you might say, Adam, but, but you can't force feelings. You can't command feelings. You know, love that person. I don't feel like you can't command that. But, church, hear the gospel. Remember the gospel. In Christ, you're no longer a slave to your feelings. In Christ, you're no longer a slave to your feelings. Whereas, once you used to be driven, controlled at the mercy of your feelings, your impulses, your lusts, your predispositions, in Christ, you're set free and giving the power to become different, to be made new. And so, yes, you don't feel loving towards that person. You don't want to act lovingly towards that person, but you're no longer a slave to that feeling. It, call on Christ. He'll give you the power to obey, to love, and for your heart to be changed. Because by faith, church, feelings follow actions. By faith, our feelings will follow our actions. By faith, when we take Jesus at His word and obey His commands to love one another and to act lovingly towards our utterly unlovable brothers and sisters, we trust the Spirit over time is going to change our affections so we will eventually feel lovingly towards Him or her. The goal of the attendee is to choose a church that they love. The goal of the engaged is to choose to love the church they're in. Hear that again. The goal of an attendee is to choose a church that they love. But the goal of one who is engaged is to choose to love that church that they are in. Because mere attendees are just going to follow their feelings, and oftentimes that's going to lead them to another church when the going gets uncomfortable, inconvenient, or demanding. But the engaged will follow their commitments by faith, trusting their feelings will follow. So we're called to love one another with brotherly affection. And will we? Are we so committed to love one another? And to outdo one another, it says in verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, honor someone else over yourself. And friends, that's not the action of a mere attendee. Because attendees are there for themselves because it's pleasing to them, because it doesn't demand of them, because of what they can get. But this call to outdo one another in showing honor is a call to engage in something bigger than oneself. It's a call to humble and to submit yourself to the greater good. As Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, clothe yourselves with humility. 
toward one another. And Paul again wrote in Philippians 2.3, In humility count others more significant than yourselves. Friends, those were the actions not of a mere attendee, but of someone who's engaged, who's willing to humble themselves and submit their good to the good of the whole, to honor another, to consider their good above your own. It's not the attitude of one who merely attends. It's the commitment of one who is engaged. And are you and I so engaged? And Paul goes on to describe the engaged church member in verses 11 and 12 saying, Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Did you notice the words they use here? Zealous, fervent, rejoicing, patient. These aren't casual descriptors. There's nothing casual about what he's talking about here. In fact, the phrase fervent in spirit literally means in the Greek, boiling hot with the spirit. Boiling hot. You don't get boiling hot about something unless you care about it. We don't get boiling hot unless we're really invested in something. We don't get boiling hot about something unless we're committed and invested, unless we have some kind of skin in the game. Then we have a reaction, don't we? Plus, we don't patiently endure tribulation like it says if we're not engaged. Because... Frankly, if we're doing something and we're not really committed to it and it starts to get hard or uncomfortable or inconvenient, we're more likely to walk away. So these are not descriptors of those that are are casually attending, casually there, but the engaged, engaged with the community, engaged with hardship and tribulation and difficulty, not the call to mere attendance, but the call to engage. And finally, in verse 13, Paul writes, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You know, the Greek word for hospitality literally means love of the stranger. Love of the stranger. Hospitality is opening up our homes, our tables, and our hearts to one another, especially the stranger, the one who is so very different from yourself. Because, friends, mere attendees are going to find a church that's like them, that believes exactly like them socially and politically, that acts exactly like them, that votes exactly like them, that doesn't embarrass them with their behavior or beliefs, that doesn't make them uncomfortable, challenge them, or put any demands on them. You see, attendees seek a uniform church, but the engaged seek to unite a church. Hear that again. Attendees are looking for a uniform church. The engaged will seek to unite a church. And our call is engagement to hospitality that unites a device, not device, but diverse church. In fact, we want to overcome divisiveness and division, but rather be united in our our diversity. So to the hard and the uncomfortable work of seeking the stranger out, the one so different from me, that they might become a companion. You know, our English word companion comes from Latin. Come together, panis, bread. Because those that we come together and eat bread with become companions. You see, something amazing happens around the table. Because when we actually engage someone else around a table or in conversation, those strangers, that, that person that was so utterly different from me, you know, that person whose values I just can't even fathom, 
That person whose beliefs I do not understand. That person whose opinions, especially the political ones, I can't even buy. Well, suddenly over the table, those strangers become less strange to me. And I start to meet the person who's behind the opinion. And I hear that there's a story behind his or her beliefs. And she's actually carefully thought through her opinions. And even though we might disagree on having a glass of wine or watching a particular TV show or which candidate to vote for, it's not that he's disregarded the teaching of Scripture. No, there's, there's more there. And when we show hospitality, we welcome others. And the one who was once so strange becomes a companion, becomes a friend. And church, this is the gospel. Because remember, this is exactly what Christ has done for us. Because, friends, we were strange and estranged from God. We were far off, but by the work of Jesus Christ, we've been engaged. We've been brought near, seated at the table of God, as we sometimes sing together. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Christ has engaged and welcomed us, and so we willingly and lovingly engage one another. And notice, this isn't something that can be forced or faked. It's not something that can be forced or faked. First Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, Peter says, don't open your arms while closing your heart. Don't open up your arms while closing off your heart. And I've confessed before, I am the king of doing the right thing with the wrong attitude. Grumbling all the way. But when somebody does the right thing, like welcoming you, but it's clear their heart is not in it, does that make you feel welcomed? Of course not. Hospitality is a heart action as much as a home action. It's a much, as much about your attitude as about your actions. And like we said earlier, sometimes in faith we simply do the right thing and pray that God helps our emotions to follow. The point is, engaging your home without being willing to engage your heart is not actual hospitality. Because hospitality is willing to go deep. And friends, that's actually the point of this whole commitment to engage. As a church, the question is, are we willing to go deep with one another? Are we willing to commit to go deep? You know, I think about the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 13. The the parable of the soils. He said a a sower goes out and he scatters seed and it falls on different types of soils. Some it falls on hard soil and it's quickly crushed or eaten by the birds. Some it falls on rocky ground where it doesn't have much soil. And so though it springs up quickly, its roots can't go deep. And so when the sun comes up, the plants wither and die. Some of the seed falls amongst weeds, and so while it grows up, it's choked out by the weeds. And other seed falls on good earth and produces an abundant crop. And church, if we won't engage and don't engage with one another, we're going to be like that seed that falls on the rocky ground. If our roots do not go down deep into Christ and into the community, then once things get hard, once the sun comes up, once the pandemic hits, Once masking and social distancing make worship gatherings inconvenient, once conflict arises, once someone challenges my candidate or my beliefs, once disagreement rears its head, once somebody steps on my toes, if our roots in the community are shallow, if we're mere attendees of the community, 
If we're mere consumers of Jesus Christ, then when hardship comes, our faith, our participation is going to dry up, wither up, and blow away. Only those whose roots go down deep will last. Only those who've made the commitment to do the hard work to engage will last and grow. The parable of the soils makes clear only the seed that was engaged deeply in the good soil grew. Only the seed engaged deeply grew. And it's the same for you and for me and for our church. Only will your engagement drive personal growth and church growth. You know, one pastor, thinking upon this, observed engagement will drive future church growth because people become most passionate about the things in which they're most involved. Just talk to a football dad or a baseball mom. Talk to one of our big fans of football. I know you're out there, Sandy Hurlbut. I'm talking about you. Talk about our football fans or Candy. Candy, I don't know if she's here. We have a lot of football fans. Talk to them. Or talk to your foodie friend who just found another recipe. Or talk to your triathlete friend who just sent another personal best. Engagement fuels involvement. Involvement fuels passion. Passion fuels invitation. You know, again, our football friend always wants us to listen about their team and watch their team with them and cheer for their team. Our foodie friend always wants them to try the new recipe that they just tried. Our physical friend wants us to at least attempt a 5K with them. Engagement leads to invitation. Invitation leads to unchurched people following Jesus. Engagement fuels involvement and growth. Involvement fuels our passion. Passion fuels invitation and kingdom growth. Friends, only deep roots bear kingdom fruit. Only deep root bears kingdom fruit. It's engagement that is going to, going to drive future growth personally, and as a church. And so, friends, the question is, how? How will you commit to go beyond merely attending church, to engaging Christ, engaging His community, and engaging His mission? Because only deep roots will bear kingdom fruits. Will you bear fruit? And let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus Christ engaged with us. He took, he took us, strangers and estranged, far, far away, without hope and without God in this world. And by his coming and his death and his resurrection, he has brought near we who are far away. And so now, Christ, may we be used by you to engage one another, to engage this community, and to engage this world, that the gospel of Jesus Christ might be seen, might be heard, and might be experienced, that many might know of him and might glory in his name, now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.